The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome to Managing to Be Wealthy. I'm the host this evening, Spencer Hager. With me, Tony Payne. Both of us are certified financial planners. And then our founder, John Sestina, is with us. It's been a little bit since we had this combination, but I feel like it hasn't been too long. But uh, yeah, it feels good. We all look excited, ready to get going. We're going to have some fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Relatively. Well, you're trying to get me going with yeah. the first topic. Come yeah. on, Spencer. Well, we'll jump right to it then. So we're starting with current <laughs> events. Uh, current events, I know we've talked about it a lot, but it does seem to be developing more and more, so it is relevant. Uh, student loan forgiveness. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> Announced a little bit back. Uh, that was the whole, if you have a uh, federal loan that you got through the Department of Education and you didn't refinance it, anything like that. They enrolled it where if you meet the income requirements, could get $10,000 of your student loans forgiven. If you were a Pell Grant recipient, could have been twenty grand. We talked about that ad nauseum. And then earlier this week, uh, the Department of Education officially rolled it out where you can actually submit the application to have the loan forgiven. At first, I kind of – my head turned because I was – no opinion. I was just one of the people that thought that it, this is going to be a slow process, and I'm sure there are going to be some lawsuits to try and block it, which we'll get to that. Yeah, there already are. Right. So I, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, are you going to immediately get this forgiven the second you submit the application? But it seems like it's more just get some of the details in there, but there's still more to come. That's what I gathered. I mean, the basic form was just give us your info, it sounded right. like, so we can call you later when we figure it out. I mean, it looked like, what, some 8 million people filled this out over the weekend? I think it's up to 12 now, yeah. Okay, but yeah, you're 12. right, it did start at 8. I mean, they're flowing in like crazy. Right, and oh. I think it's up to maybe 40 million total that were eligible for this thing. Right. So about $1.2 or something like that in total. Yeah. Oh, it's nothing. Hardly any money at all, Tony. <laughs> yeah, well, Clear out the couch. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, so the lawsuits are starting to flow in. I. Nothing. I mean, you knew it was coming. I haven't seen anywhere. It seems like it's going to necessarily be a huge blocking force. Like I saw one was in Wisconsin. It looks like the Cato Institute's trying to put one through to block it, but it's all super early. But um, yeah, it was it was just interesting. And I've heard some of the gurus out there that really specialize in trying to get people set up for college talking like it's already a done deal and expected to come down the pipeline. And when I heard that, I, I had some strong pause with it. So I don't know. I suppose I'm planning on sending it to anyone who's eligible for it. I mean, might as well submit the application if you think you've got a chance. And well, I have a see. new web page for those people. I just created it today. Oh, no. I know you guys will appreciate it very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a brand new web page, and it's called Cowards. <laughs> Whoa. Not that I have an opinion on this. Tony, yeah, no but, opinion. You know, I'm okay. Trying to be mild mannered and swaying back and. I'm, you know, my dad was a coal miner, and he would not have wanted to pay down some kid's loan. He never went to college. Never went. He didn't finish the eighth grade. 
Well, here's a dangerous question, John, since we've already gone to the cowards route. Go to the danger so, zone, Spencer. So, Enter. So if you, were, if you were 23, 24, and you met the requirements, and you could get the 10000 forgiven, and everyone else is going to take the 10000 would you reject it? Yes. You would. Yep. See, I'm cantankerous, too. <laughs> but I, you've got to live by principles, not by the moments, not by what's happening. That's what politicians do. You know, they put their finger up in the air and see which way the wind is blowing, and that's the way they go. But this country was built on principles. A good life is built on principles. And in my mind, the principle is if I created the loan, I should pay it. Tony, anything you want to throw into that one? <laughs> no, I mean, again, we certainly principles, John, are important, fundamental. We know, though, too, as fiduciaries, we can save that money and yeah. use that for something else for someone. Make sure that you're going to the right website yep. because, John, you're not the only one with that idea of creating a website around this. That's a good point. We are going to see a lot of fraudulent websites set up, a lot of people giving those phone calls. Hey, I'm, I'm with the whatever administration to forgive your debt. By the way, give me all your info right. and give me a bank account so I can deposit yeah. your money <laughs> there. So be very, very mindful that as you're giving up any of your information, you're doing it on the right website and the official source rather than maybe going through some intermediary or just giving your info up. Well, is there a website that you know is the right one yet, Tony? Th there is right now. Uh, it's a little bit longer URL, but you want to follow the Department of Education's right. website, and that would direct you there. So you'd want to start there. It's definitely going to end with a .gov. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> not dot .spencer? No, no, no. Excellent. <laughs> so, no, but same same as before. So it is picking up. Um, if you can benefit from it, I would encourage you to at least do the application and see if you're going to be eligible for it. But we'll see what happens. It's just uh, interesting to see that. They are picking up steam with it, and we'll see how far it goes. But uh, And then just always be mindful of, like we said at the beginning, I think most people know it, but if you have private loans, refinance student loans, you're above the income gap, probably not going to be eligible for the forgiveness. So if uh, if you are one of the people who's not eligible, presumably the payments are going to start back on uh, December 31st afterwards. So get ready. So what is what are the income limits? Do you know? It was one twenty five if you're single, and then it was two fifty for a married filing joint household. So if you're above those, even if you had the public loans, you're unfortunately going to make too much income for it. And I think that's based on at this point it would be twenty twenty one, but because people were filing extensions on their tax returns, it could have been twenty twenty even at some point. So well, it makes sense for the politicians because they're used to living on. Other people's money. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So we're going to leave it at that with the current events because I really want to get into the bulk of tonight's show, which is pretty much about – every time we've ever brought it up on the show before, we've called it tax diversification or tax diversity. Um, I've read a lot of articles recently on this. That's actually what made me think of the topic. Some people call it asset location. Essentially, all it means is where are you saving your retirement money into? Are you doing it into a pre-tax account, into a, an after-tax account where it's going to grow tax-free? It's commonly called Roth. And then there's uh, even a third one where it just – you don't get a tax benefit necessarily, but any growth in that's going to accrue some capital gains. So a couple different things with that, uh, quite a few actually. I kind of want to start with the different ages. So I guess for you both off the cuff – do you generally have a rule of thumb where you say for someone from this age to that age, prioritize Roth savings versus 
this age to that, you should really focus on the pre-tax? Or is that a it depends question? You have a well, you know it. it I'd say it. It depends. But mm-hmm. here's the parameters that would depend on what's your current income. What do you think your income trajectory is? What do you think your income and lifestyle might be at retirement? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, these are all some of the factors where it'll depend upon. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Well, you know, it, it, never let the tax tail wag the economic dog. Yeah, I know we're going to get to that. So think about this. When is it too soon to start saving taxes? I like to start as soon as possible. Exactly right. (laughs) So no matter what your income, no matter what your age, the time to start is now. Mm -hmm. And the younger you are and the more you put away on your behalf, we've all talked about compound interest and how valuable that is. So take advantage of that. I agree. I think uh, I think the income part is probably the one I focus on the most. A lot of people fixate on the fact that we're in a historically low tax environment. I can I think it's a lot more justifiable to let the if you think your income's going to double triple in the next 5 10 years, maybe you take advantage of a locking in a tax bill today. Speculating on what if the tax the marginal brackets go up a few percent in the future. I think it's fair, but I don't really like that driving it too much cuz I don't know. I feel like you're speculating all day with that. You are. I mean, there's a lot of factors there. I know we're coming up on a break here. All right, so we'll leave it at that. We're going to pick right back up on that when we get back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. As I mentioned at the end of the last segment, the bulk of tonight's show is going to be all about asset location or tax diversity, and there's a lot that goes into that. So I'm actually going to bring it back to what kind of made me want to bring this up for the show tonight. I was reading a Market Watch article. It's by Alessandra Melito. It was published back in 2021, but essentially it was an anonymous write-in of a couple who's in their mid-50s uh, hoping to retire. They've got you know well over a million dollars saved towards retirement, but they're feeling very stressed about the whole prospect of doing it because they saved all of that into 401ks as pre-tax money. There's a couple things that go into that. A, when can you access the money because they want to retire in their 50s? And then the second part is it's all pre-tax. So every time they pull money from that account to fund lifestyle, if they want to retire early, they're going to incur a tax bill by doing that. So unfortunately, that's kind of one of those articles where it's all after the fact. Unfortunately, they're already at that point. They've saved everything pre-tax, still saved a lot. But it speaks to kind of the value of not maybe putting all of your assets in one bucket. And you want to put your head down and always save no matter what the stock market's doing. But you have to have some methodical plan in place, and that's kind of where asset location comes into play to make sure that you're not handcuffing yourself simultaneously. And it's kind of a cliche we talk about all the time, but I think the first thing you kind of have to think of when it comes to asset location is, you know, what are the goals we're working towards here? Because someone who plans to work until they're 65 or 70, it's still important, I think, with asset location, but it may not be the same priority if you want to retire at 52. I mean, what do you both think? 
No, it's a really big, uh, great point you make there. I mean, if you're thinking about someone who's going to retire extremely young, they've done very well, they're going to want to access that money and use it in their 30s, 40s, 50s. I mean, there's the penalties and all that stuff that apply with IRAs, 401ks. So when we talk about tax diversity, there's some benefits in having money in accounts other than that, even though we love all the tax benefits that come with the IRAs and the 401ks, sometimes having that brokerage account or that account where you're not subject to the rules of retirement accounts is pretty important. Mm -hmm. So I know that goes into it, Spencer, right away is, like you said, when are we planning to need the money? And deep down for myself, just knowing that we have no crystal ball, we don't know what the future tax rates are going to hold or what new things are going to come out. I'm all for diversity in tax, basically asset allocation here, because right when you think, well, this is the way to go, let me load up on this one thing, well, then the rules change and you wish you had something else. And I can't tell you today what rule would change, but that's why I like having this balance, because when situations change, each tool will have a great situation to use it or not. I agree. When we both read this too, there was another article. I was doing some continuing education credits for the my CFP certified financial planner designation. And there was another article I've always thought of asset location as just a flexibility tool. Like to your point, Tony, life comes at you fast. What if all of a sudden you're moving into retirement and some unexpected health bill hits you and that's, you know, well into the five figures, right? You don't really that's that's horrible enough as it is. And then if all of your money's in a pre tax bucket that doesn't help at all, having to pull all that and incur a big tax bill. But I was reading a couple other articles, and pretty much the whole fixation, I'm not too surprised, is not about the flexibility. It's more about how can we uh, squeeze out the best after-tax return and how you <laughs> save it. So uh, I think you said you had a couple opinions on that. Well, especially when you think about using taxes. Again, we're in a year of big losses. Yeah. You're probably going to hear the phrase tax loss harvesting a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's great benefits in this sometimes when you can be deliberate and when you, I'll say, really know what you're doing and you have a real um, comprehensive approach. What do I mean here? You can make some big mistakes doing this as well, where you can say, well, let me lock in this loss and get this great tax loss. What happens if things turn around while you're out of the market? I mean, we've seen a lot of volatility here so far this year, good and bad. Yeah. And, for instance, a 1,200-point day to the downside, you can imagine what that looks like on the upside if you're sitting on the sidelines trying to play some tax games. Meanwhile, the core of your account might have been going up or fluctuating. I mean, we know it. what takes the market months or years to go down may bounce back in a couple days. So you really want to be mindful you're not missing those couple days. I agree. Well, let me ask you this question mm -hmm. regarding all this uh, worried about what my tax bracket is and what it's going to be and so on and so forth. Have you ever met anyone who was upset that they saved too much money? No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> sure have not, John. No, neither have I. And so the result is you need to be putting away as much money as you can, because however much you think your retirement's going to be, I have bad news for you. It's going to need more. And so all these calculations about, you know, you need 100000 a year and so forth, you know, you get into some bills, it'll blow your socks off. And as you said, they come out of nowhere. I think I mentioned uh, one of the times that I had a, I had a tooth 
replaced. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was a, a whatever what they call those things, not a cap, but whatever it was, and uh, it was two thousand dollars. Right. Okay, so if you're out there and you've been thinking, well, you know, my expenses for medical and dental have been this for all that, it changes. So that's part one. Part two mm -hmm. is most people forget that when you put money in a tool like a 401k or IRA or whatever the case may be, that creates more money. What do I mean by that? Well, when you put $1,000 into a tool, you get a $1,000 tax deduction, let's say, and so now you pay less taxes on that a little bit amount. Let's say it's $100. Yep. And so you pay tax on that $100, and now that grows to after taxes. So what? Because it grows. You have $100 more than you would have had had you not used the tool. And so we get too specific on these numbers. So put this much in your 401k and whatever. The key is when you're young, you better be saving 10% of what you earn. You get to be 30, you might want to be sending a little more money. You get to be 40, you surely want to be sending away 30% of your income and leave it at that for a few years. Because when you have markets like this, if you weren't saving a lot of money, you're going to be panicked. We don't want panic. We want peace of mind. No, you're right, John. It's the idea of planning for the bad times as well as the good times. <clears throat> And if you're maxed out in the good times, you know your plane's collapsing in bad, or even the tough times for a temporary period. That's why I kind of uh, I think of this a lot more about the flexibility than the return, because I feel like at a certain extent, when you're talking about return, you're almost looking at it in a vacuum. I just it's it's one of those concepts where I feel like you can spreadsheet it to death to say what if my income goes up this much, what if the marginal tax rate goes up four percent in two years, but then if that means that you're putting all of your eggs in one basket and then something comes out of the blue and all of a sudden it's something you weren't planning for four years ago, but it really puts you in a tight spot. I could totally see a situation where you lose all that return that you spreadsheeted out there because you were doing it fixated on just income or tax brackets or something like that. The same with some of the products that might be uh, sold or pushed upon you. They may be presented as achieving multiple goals, but you've got to ask yourself, what am I giving up to perhaps get these multiple goals achieved with one product? And could I do this with different things? You know, the idea of can I get my own money out tax-free? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a savings account. Or can you borrow against your own money? Sure, that's a home equity line. There's different tools you might be able to use to achieve your goals. And when you say products, were you getting towards like life insurance? I there? was, because yeah. I think a lot of those are packaged up as one-size-fits-all things. Yeah, that's a good point. Probably too much for this segment. Maybe we'll touch on the next one. But uh, we're going to keep expanding on this. There's a lot of detail with the whole asset location conversation. So stick around for the back half of the show. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. <laughs> Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy. We are talking all about asset location, tax diversity. There's a lot that goes into those terms, so hopefully you caught the first two segments. Quick reminder, the standard reminder, uh, as you're listening, if you want to find out more about Managing to be Wealthy, you can go to our website. It's managingtobewealthy.com. Take a look around. There's an archive section where you can go through all of our previous shows. Uh, if you want to set up a meeting with one of our financial advisors, completely complimentary, uh, you would go to the Take Action up in the top right and uh, go from there. So we're bringing it back in. We wrapped up the last segment. Like I said, talking about the asset location. So 
you know, here's another aspect that I think of with this, and maybe it applies more to young people. I mean, do you both find it where you're talking to people in their 20s and 30s and it just drives them crazy thinking about locking their money up until they're 55, 59 and a half? I seem to be having that conversation with people more. I know when I was in that time frame and still was for a little bit recently, but not anymore. Yes, Spencer, yes, because it's it is it seems so far away, I think. And at that phase of life, especially the more entrepreneurial mindset people yeah. are thinking, I don't want to wait that long. I want to get this money in action now, and I want to benefit from it now. And I think it's a real learning and a real process to, to come to terms with long-term growth of a diversified, dare I say, slow or boring approach rather than how do I get something exciting now and flip it and flip it and make this happen at least in my world, that's what I think I was noticing a lot early on was much more of a, I'm going to conquer the world, take it over now, let me <laughs> use this leverage, and I'm going to take my great idea and leverage it and make 10x. Yeah. But then after a couple of those don't work out, then you decide perhaps diversification works. That's fair. So you brought us back to the most important word in the English language when you're talking about investing. What is that word? Discipline. Discipline. And so if you don't put the money away when you're 20, you're not disciplined. It's true. There's not None of that other stuff matters. Now, if you have another investment and you divert some of that 20%, whatever it is, to your uh, new investment, that's fine because you're investing the money. But you can't be looking at this and, and isolating the tax-deferred deposit. And that's what people are doing. They're looking at stuff as a singular they're not looking around looking at the whole picture and the uh, looking at only the tax deferred deposit is incredibly short-sighted i think of one client i served many years ago a hundred percent of his money when he came to me we put him a hundred percent of his money was in his pension plan okay he is now retired about 20 years has more money than he knows what to do with and yeah he pays taxes when he takes some of the money out he doesn't care because the, the amount of money he has as a result of that growth, plus the money he had on the side because we created the tax deferral, has put him in a wonderful financial condition. So you're not saying to worry about the taxes, are you, John? You never worry about the taxes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's I, easy yeah. to get distracted by the shiny stuff, though. That's what we do. What about people who are worried about a massive RMD that they don't need? RMD standing for required minimum distribution if you're one of the people over 72 years old. What do you mean they're worried about it? So what if you just put everything into that tax-deferred pre-tax bucket? The IRS is going to make you start pulling money out. Yep. You only need 120000 to live on, but you built that bucket so large that when you're 73, they make you take a quarter million. Okay, so what do you do with it? Presumably you invest it back in uh, one of those other right. accounts. You do the same thing. You put it back in your investment account. You take what you need. You always go to Tony's point of the cash cash flow worksheet, decide what you need to live on, and you're investing the rest. I'm still investing money, and I'm going to be 81 years old. Even though the market's down, I'm still investing money. And I mean, I think – no, I think it's a great point. I tend to agree with you because that's what drives me crazy with the whole what if tax rates go up conversation, right? I like I always like a hybrid approach. I think people will hopefully get that from this conversation. I agree with you, John. If you're doing the tax-deferred bucket, take the tax right off today as long as you're saving into those other buckets. Hopefully, if you can – and uh, uh, beep. 
Say the, the if you can. Know, yeah. If you can. Yeah. Do it. Do it. That's what John would yeah. do it. But you no, I, do it. I agree with you. It does drive me crazy with the whole, right? Take take the deduction today. That's a win no matter what. Who knows if the rates are going to go up in three years, seven years, right? Work right. with what we know today. Well, plus, the, plus the money you saved has nothing to do with that because it's off by its own. It's already taxed. Yep. And you're investing it in a taxable account. Well said. So it's growing outside of the of your concern anyway. I agree. Well, again, Jan, uh, John, to your points here, just framing this mindset because I think that's really what it is. Yes. It's about what's enough, not <clears throat> more, not Correct. greed, not let me just complicate this to drive this thing down. Because again, I hinted at it earlier, but. Asset allocation or tax diversification, you can do on your own. You don't need a certain product or an insurance policy that's a Swiss Army knife of things that you're going to pay a lot of fees for. If you have the tools in your toolbox, as we keep saying, you can use each of these features when the situation comes up and you're not stuck. Because I think where a lot of, in my mind, where a lot of this comes from is that advisor that might be incentivized to say, oh, my, look at this giant RMD. Do you really want to pay all this taxes? Look look at this giant tax bill. Meanwhile, they're ignoring the fact that look how big this RMD is. Look how well you must have done to get this. I mean, certainly no one likes the big tax bill, but as to your point, John, what are you going to do with it? If you go ahead and reinvest it, was the tax bill and all that tax deferral worth it? It probably was. So I don't know that it's as big a problem as people make it out to be. It's not a problem. Uh, my RMD is pretty big, <laughs> and uh, I have to take that and scrunch my eyes when I do. But nonetheless, I think, hmm, well, I put that money away over all the years. That's why I have a non-deductible account where I'm accumulating money. So my RMD goes 100% into my taxable account. That's a good point, too. And I know we've talked about ad nauseum before. It, it could be if you're a charitably inclined person, right? You could obviously take the money out f- from the RMD and just give it directly to a charity of your choice, and it never gets taxed. So then there's this little pre tax buck you squirreled away, and you're given to charity with pre tax money instead of after tax cash. Right. Yeah. Plus, we can use that little tax gimmick with uh, withdrawals from IRAs and such. What's that called, Tony? The QCD is one of them, the Qualified Charitable Distribution. I'm not sure if that's the one you were thinking. Yep. Okay. I, it was fun. I had a meeting the other day. I was sitting with someone, and, John, they really got it. They got fired up and were almost, what do I care if I have a tax bill? What do I care? It means I made money. It means I had profit. Right. And I'm just sitting there smiling. Someone gets it. Someone gets it. Um, again, it's the thing, I think, the shiny thing. How do I avoid taxes? But the bigger core issue is... If you're paying taxes, that's new money or that's a gain. I agree. All right. Well, well said. Last thing I will say maybe on this, and then we may switch topics for the last segment here. We'll see. The only situation that I can think of where maybe you do want to make sure you prioritize some of the like the brokerage account investments. It's not in a Roth where it's tax-free. It's not pre-tax, but it's if you put in ten grand, it grows to twenty. You have to pay capital gains taxes on the ten grand of growth. People, like I said, who want to retire pre-65, if you're going to have to go on – we've talked a lot about health insurance, I think, the past three shows with open enrollment coming up. If you know you're going to retire at at 55 and you're 10 years away from Medicare, then if you set up a a brokerage account, it's a little bit easier to manage selling that off, incurring the capital gains to put yourself in that perfect income threshold where you can get some subsidies. 
What are you smirking? Yeah, Tony's smirking. It, it could be. I'm smirking too, though, because within all these plans and the flavors, 401k, IRA, 403b, there's certain exemptions that say you can go in there early and take money out for these specific reasons. But there is a tax bill. And there is a tax bill. But you want to know that, hey, this is not automatically locked up all the time <laughs> to 59 and a half. There may be good instances where you would want to get in there early because you did retire early, and maybe that was the right bucket. And because you forgot about the side account you set up from the tax savings? Maybe. And that might be enough. You don't have to tap the 401k? It might be. Because you have enough there. All right. I've got a couple opinions. We're going to pick this up on the next segment. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Last segment here. We're closing it off. I, for a second, I thought we may not end with asset location and talking about tax diversity, but I feel like uh, I want to clarify a couple things. So... So, John, to your point, if you take advantage of the tax savings when you're saving into a pre-tax 401k, if you're put max you can put in if you're under 50 is 20,500. That doesn't include what the employer kicks in. If by doing the 20,500, even with the tax savings, that means you're break even. There is no savings left over to go towards an after-tax investment or a Roth investment. Would you recommend they scale back the 401k a little bit on the pre-tax? so that they can fill the other buckets. Is no, it- I would not recommend you scale back because, once again, when they put the 20 in, it creates money. And so they can create a little side account of some amount of money because they did the max on their 401k contribution. When you say creates money, are you talking about the tax savings from it? I think, Spencer, you're, you're coming from the position that they've already spent that. It's, it's accounted for. That is account. what I'm it's, saying, correct. It's in their lifestyle. They've already spent the savings that was generated from the 401k deduction. I think, again, not to speak for you, John, but don't spend it. I mean, if you're using this tool and that tool's generating something, you have the option, whether it goes towards lifestyle or back to savings. And unfortunately, a lot of people apply it to lifestyle. So I think that's what you're saying, Spencer. They're, they've already committed it to lifestyle. Is but, that- yeah, but what if we crunch the budget and there is no you – theoretically, you can't reduce the lifestyle anymore. We took the – we saved 20 grand. We saved five grand in taxes, and the five grand went to daycare and a vacation or not a vacation, groceries. Right? You cannot reduce it. It's either reduce the savings, move it into an after-tax bucket, or we're doing the 20500 and there's nothing left over. You say keep rolling 20500 pre-tax, or would you say, okay, reduce it a little bit so you can take the tax savings and – throw it into another bucket what do you think i say tony (laughs) take a sledgehammer and change something dramatically from the top because these little things or tweets are not going to be the difference maker long term you probably got to structurally change how you're living in lifestyle your income in one way or another and this is the hard part i I mean i know it's not easy to i mean that's why i say john for john because you're our resident tough guy here but i mean the idea of the tough love of you know what? If you can't generate this extra two, three grand for savings, something big's got to change. Right. Someone, you know, someone makes a hundred thousand dollars. They pay taxes and they save twenty grand. You're saying that. 
there's some huge underlying problem where they're just overspending. What if they can't save the 20 grand? I don't know. My question was, what if they can? <laughs> <laughs> but well, if, if they yeah. don't save the twenty grand, what happens to their retirement? It's going to take a hit. You bet. So we're doing planning, right? Mm -hmm. And in planning, we plan for retirement. Yes. So the goal to focus on is the retirement, not that can I buy extra groceries this week. There was a time in my life when I was really broke. I was $2.5 million in debt. I was sick and couldn't work. And I was receiving this one check once a month for like, I think it was $60 a month. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. So when that check would come in, I would stagger to the local savings and loan. And I would take 10% of that check, 60 cents, and put it in a savings account. Because it was for my future. I couldn't afford that any more than the man in the moon, but I had to do it. So it's the same way we, people who are athletes who are struggling for that extra mile or that extra inch or whatever the case may be, you gut it out. You know, it's, it's your circumstances are what they are. And you have to live within those circumstances. If you're not able to live on a hundred thousand dollars a year, you got to do what Tony talked about. You have to reconstruct your, your cash flow. Now, the only thing, the reason I'm, I'm digging in on this is because I don't know. It almost feels like we're coming at it from different perspectives because what, I, because what I'm saying is if we know we have to save 10% and we're saving 10%, I think a fair question is to say, do I do the full 10% and get a tax deduction or do I do five pre-tax, take the deduction and 5% Roth? And it almost strikes me like you both are saying, who cares? Do the full 10 pre-tax. Well, I am, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's not so much the – I mean, it's the tough part. I mean, we can look at that one and say this is all we have to splice up. Is it Roth or is it pre-tax? But the sledgehammer part is, look, if we're splitting hairs on that, something bigger is wrong. So the idea of – like we're saying, if that 100K, 20K is going towards savings, figure another 10 or so is going towards taxes – I mean, then you think about the overhead of living and just lifestyle. I mean, I'm I'm with you, Spencer. There's, I mean, you hear that and it's like, that's hard. Where do people come up with that? But that's the idea of the hard choices where housing is such a big element of what drives people's budgets. It, maybe you need to change that part, whether it's a longer commute to work, whether it's shared bedrooms. I mean, again, this is the nitty gritty of it, but if 40% of your income is going towards housing, and whatever your income is, two fifty or fifty grand, if forty percent's going towards housing, you might have to take that hard look of where do I need to go to either uplift my income so that percentage goes down, or do I have to move out further, commute further, something like that, so that it generates that free cash flow because I and again in my mind the do I just do five more to this or five more to that, that's that's the nickel and dime stuff rather than let's let's address the structural issue. Well, I'm going to keep pressing then because I, I still feel like I disagree. So, all right, so you save the 10%. They find a way then they squeezed out another 5% of savings. Yep. Are you saying you put that 5% into something that isn't pre-tax or is it another 5% pre-tax? Not so, arbitrarily. What are you talking about? If if we were talking about putting it in the 401k, if the, if the maximum the person can put in is 10 grand, than the other five or whatever your savings, if if they have to save fifteen thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. okay, they've got to save fifteen thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. no matter where it comes from. I agree. You need to take a second job. You maybe sell your house. 
You wouldn't like Dave Ramsey. <laughs> he tells you to sell the house and and rent and cut back and so forth. On that, I agree with him. So what we have to do is ex- stop trying to cushion it and rec- let's be real. Where are we really? And then stand up and face it. That's what I say in my little income cycle. Yep. Whatever it is, whatever you earn, that's all there is. Yeah. But you might identify with this one, Spencer. You get where I'm coming from. But let's say it was that $1,000 in the budget. And that 1000 was the make or break. And somewhere you could just move it and say, I'll make a 1000 more in investments. Maybe it's a higher interest rate or something like that. That's, in my mind, very similar approach of let's put the Band-Aid on it. You know, we'll get you a little extra yield or a little extra income. That'll help right now. Maybe that'll pay for your car insurance. Maybe that'll pay for something extra. But at the same time, well, that's just a bullet on this bigger issue, bullet hole, or I'm sorry, a Band-Aid over this bullet hole. We've got to worry about the bigger issue. So that's where, again, maybe related to something else where, again, I think it's the shiny thing. How do I make more? That'll help me out of the situation. But sometimes if you step back, well, that little bit more really isn't as much as you think it is. It's got to be a structural change. Well, and and we're unfortunately going to run up at the end of the show with this, but my only thing is, right, say it is the 401k, you're over 50, you can save $27,000 max. That doesn't include what your employer kicks in. In a perfect world, I want everyone I work with to be able to save 27000 per year and then some. But let's assume they can't. I'm saying I kind of like the flexibility of if we can do 50-50 pre-tax versus Roth, we're meeting the savings goal we said we need to meet. Is that why not dig in a little bit and have the flexibility? Except you're slowing down their growth because they're losing the ability to create extra investment income with the tax deductibility of the money you're going to put in a Roth instead of the 401k. All right. Maybe for the next show, I'm going to force whoever's doing it to uh, more variables. Yeah, There's gonna, more variables. I'm going to force them to do the first segment on this topic, skip this current event. So hopefully it's been interesting. There's a lot to it. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN.